Hello, this is the History Voyager. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to mine. This is a very interesting conversation I had with somebody who apparently died and came back to life. And we had an interesting talk about... um, the nature of reality, and just basically society in general. And I really wish we had gone more in-depth into that. And maybe someday we will, because I really, really do want to have him back on the podcast um, very soon. Um, And also, this is going to have more of an international audience than normal, uh, even for my shows. Uh, I'm giving this episode to a an acquaintance of mine that I met through podcasting. She runs a very interesting podcast out of Singapore. Um, I'm going to give her this one and I guess the one below it on the uh, on the feed. So for those of you who are new to the History Voyager, hello and know that this is not my normal episode. Um, But then again, in season two of the History Voyager, where I talk to people, where I I interview people about whatever, um, I don't really know what normal is anymore as far as the those types of things go. I just sort of let the guests take take the uh, episode where they will. All right, so... This is a conversation about, essentially, about the nature of realities, well as some other things going on in the world. Um, and I enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy it too. All right. Uh, bye-bye, and uh, I'll see you later. Hello, everybody. My name is Benjamin Kitchings, and you're listening to the History Voyager. I'm here with Kyle... Uh, Mullicane. Mullicane, that's it. Mullicane. Um, and we're going to have what I'm nearly certain is going to be a fascinating conversation. And I'm not even going to tell you, I mean, I'm not even going to spoil it for you because why don't we just let Kyle talk about it? <laughs> yeah, well, well, thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So how did okay? So you came to my attention because you uh, you had do you call it a near death experience or what do you I, call I, it? Well, I guess I mean that's the common term for it. But um, yeah, I, I crashed three different times, uh, so I don't know if you would call that near death or just full on dying and <laughs> and coming back. But um, yeah, it was um, it, it was an interesting experience. I, I I don't know if there's really a a way to describe it or sum it up. Okay. Well, try. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so it actually started about uh, two and a half years ago. I was having some issues and um, just thought it was, the doctors just thought it was anxiety. So they kept throwing pills at me. And then I started blacking out and I blacked out once and wrapped my wife's car around a pole and went to the hospital and found out that I was in heart failure 
uh, and I only had 15% of, of function. And apparently what had happened is I had a heart condition from birth that I wasn't aware of. And, you know, the racing heart rate and whatnot, it's called atrial fib, which is with the electrical wiring. And it had been going on so long, it had just worn my heart out. You know, the comparison I give is take a light bulb or a light switch and you just flick it on and off as fast as you can. Eventually that bulb's going to burn out. So spent 15 days in the cardiac ICU here in uh, Nashville at, at Vanderbilt Medical Center. And they told me, they said, uh, well, you know, we're going to give you this defibrillator. So they implanted a defibrillator uh, and we're going to send you home and get you healthy enough to get on the transplant list. So they sent me home on about seven different drugs. Um, and that was in September, October of 2018. And July 5th of 2019, um, I woke up the day before we'd been at a, um, you know, cookout with family and I just thought I'd, I'd eaten too much and I had indigestion. So I went to bed and woke up July 5th and it felt like someone had hit me in the abdomen with a croquet mallet covered in spikes and was stomping on it. And I guess I drove my, I drove myself to the ER, but really that the last thing I remember was being at my house and, and uh, throwing up and it looked like it was bright green. And the next yeah. thing I know, I woke up uh, intubated, restrained, and it was July 22nd. Um, so uh, apparently what had happened to the to their best guess is uh, two of the drugs, two of the heart meds that they had me on had had a bad interaction. And it happens in like less than 2% of, of patients. But uh, it was like a time bomb went off in my abdomen. I had uh, necrotizing pancreatitis, uh, acute respiratory failure renal failure and abdominal compartment syndrome all at once. Um, so oh my God. they, yeah, they went in. So I, I was in a coma, of course. Um, they had five surgeries in, in nine days. They didn't think they were going to be able to close my abdomen. So my abdomen had been open this entire time because of the swelling and you know, the abdominal compartment syndrome is where everything swells up so much that you actually lose blood flow to your organs. So they were giving me room to, uh, they were giving me room to swell, I guess. Um, and so the, the surgeries, uh, didn't really go like they wanted them to, but somehow they still managed to, to bring me back. So spending those two weeks in a coma, uh, and on life support was, uh, yeah, that was, that was an experience I, I never thought I would have. Um, and then a week after I woke up, I went catatonic. So I went from talking and being normal to just not being there at all, just looking around and I was present. Um, and I was writing a lot of things, which is interesting to look back on now, look back on those journals. Um, and then I had a seven minute seizure, um, that they stopped. And, and that was one of the times I crashed. They called in rapid response. Um, now, now let me, okay. I've heard of catatonic. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm afraid I've only ever heard of it almost in a joking sense, like almost like certainly not in a medical sense, almost in a joking sense. So why don't, can you, in your own words, try to explain to me what catatonic is? Yeah, so it's it's basically where the lights are on, but nobody's home, and 
so I, I'd been awake and I had started, they had taken the, I was on a ventilator where well, they'd taken that out and I'd started talking and then I just got quiet again and no one knew why. Um, and my family took some pictures and some videos cause I was doing some strange things. I, I wasn't talking, but I was writing a lot. Um, I was trying to shuffle a deck of cards and it's interesting to look back on that because I was actually in the middle of a, of a real time hallucination. It, it lasted about 48 hours. I was, I was on this ship. Um, and I mean, I could tell you everything about the ship. I could tell you about the people I was on there with it. Uh, it was, I thought I was on a research vessel and we were leaving Australia, going to the Arctic circle. Um, and then in this, so in this dream, this hallucination, I had a really bad headache. Um, and I remember going down below deck and I laid down on my bunk. And when I laid down on my bunk, I just, I felt this really intense pressure in my head. And then I felt these hands grab my face. Uh, and then, uh, I guess I woke up about 24 hours later and, they, they had expected me, they, they told my family a couple of times uh, to go ahead and make arrangements, you know, call whoever needs to come and say goodbye, just be prepared. Um, and then after this, but that was before the seizure. So after that seizure, they had prepared my family to just go ahead and send me on to assisted living. Uh, they expected I'd have the brain function of maybe a 10 or 12 year old, but that didn't happen. So, uh, but yeah, catatonia, uh, it's still... I mean, the, the doctors couldn't agree if it was catatonia or, or what exactly it was. But, um, yeah, it's where the lights are on, but, but nobody's home. And in my case, I wasn't there because I was, I was on, a, on a ship. Um, and it was, it was very, very similar to the dreams and the, the vision, visions, hallucinations, whatever you want to call them. Okay, that I had. so. Uh, Go ahead. All right. So me as a, as a, a storyteller... And uh, mm-hmm. I used to make mov- I used to make movies. So, oh, nice. well, the only hallucination that I've ever seen haven't been my own. They've been in Hollywood or through through mm-hmm. the prism of movies and stuff. Yeah. So was for for lack of a better word, was there like a transition? between the here and now and sort so of this. That, yeah, that's the interesting thing. So I had okay. looking back, uh, so what I would compare my, what I went through in a coma uh, and then the seizure and then, you know, crossing over um, if that's what I did. But uh, I would, the best way I can describe it, you know, it's, it's kind of like trying to describe a sunset to a blind person is the, analogy that I like to use, like you can try to describe it, but without context, someone can't get the real picture. So what I, what I say is like, take what we're doing right now. So where you're sitting, talking to me, close your eyes and then open them up and imagine being in a hospital bed, uh, intubated and restrained. And people are trying to tell you that, Hey, this is what happened to you. Um, but you're like, no, that's not true at all. I was just on a I was just on a boat or um, I was just on my way to Joshua tree. You know, that was another very strong vision I had. Um, But they, so with the transition um, with the, the dreams like that, it, it, what there was a kind of a stark transition back to reality. Um, 
And it took a, a few days for me to finally click and get what had happened. But the other ones, um, I actually was going through my medical records here not too long ago and, and found in there when I crashed one time during surgery. And that was, it was kind of, that was a very interesting day when I found that. Um, but so the, when I died, I, I'm fairly certain that I know when that was because the experience was different and there was no, there was no clear defined like, okay. And now, you know, you've, um, you know, now you, you went down and you laid, laid in your bunk and you had a headache and you woke up in, in the hospital or you were driving to Joshua Tree and one of your best friends who came to visit me in the hospital um, pulled over, helped you change a flat tire, and then you drove on to Joshua Tree and, and uh, went to the hotel. Um, but when I died, um, it, was, it was very, very different. Um, the feeling of it, there was, uh, have you ever, done, have you ever done psychedelics? I haven't. Okay. Well, that, so feeling that, yeah, there's a, and I use that as a context for anyone that has done them before, because there's a, there's a certain point, at least with, with mushrooms, there's a certain point like where you just feel this, this like in heavy peace or euphoria. It's like a really warm bear hug. Um, and yeah. I've felt that on an order of magnitude of, I mean, I, that I can't describe. Um, right. But I, I remember, yeah, I, I, um, I had a very, very clear vision of, of standing in a field and there was a mountain range off in the distance and there was just this brilliant light. Um, like one you can't, like not a light, like you're looking at a flashlight. It was just like this all consuming. Um, it felt very warm. It also felt very maternal, which is interesting, but, uh, I do specifically remember at least at one time having, having the realization like, Oh, okay, wow. I'm, I'm gone. Uh, but I was okay with it because I didn't, I, I wasn't in any pain. I wasn't scared of anything. Um, and it was, you know, I saw some things. Um, yeah. I wouldn't say I saw the future, but I, you know, I've had some very weird cases of deja vu since, uh, my hospital stay. So, um, it, uh, yeah, it, it, it changes you, you know, it, I mean, it's cliche for a reason, the whole near death experience. Well, right. And I mean, I've certainly, um, like I, I've interviewed people over the mm -hmm. years and I've had people tell me, um, stories about, you know, that make me question whether or not this is a, we are what the nature of reality actually is. A hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? Like A hundred percent. Like how it, it's interesting to me. So I, I look, I look at everything different now, of course, but one of the first things I came back with and that I started noticing was the nature of our reality and how thin, just how thin that, that, that veil really is. Um, you know, and now when I see, you know, someone on the, uh, either homeless or, or something, and you see them in mental crisis. I remember the first time 
after I was out of the hospital, I saw a man arguing with the stoplight. You know, obviously he was in a, a yeah. mental health crisis, but it hit me right. different than it would have before because it's like, oh, I know what that is. Where you're, what you're experiencing is is reality. Uh, it's just not the reality that everybody else has agreed upon. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a hundred percent. It's interesting. I forget the philosopher, but there's a philosopher that says reality is essentially a shared delusion. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent. You know. Yeah. Like, um, and I mean, I've read. I was talking to somebody about this this morning. Um, when I went back to college, um, I read uh, Michel Foucault. Right. Okay. And he writes. He's a philosopher of history, mm-hmm. who writes a lot about structural changes through time. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you've never gone through a structural change, well, okay. If you've never gone through a structural change and simultaneously had the thought, oh, this is a structural change. Mm-hmm. Okay. This thing that I'm experiencing right now is a societal structural change. Yeah. And we are never going back to what used to be normal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you've never experienced that, you look at Michel Foucault and you think, oh, okay, what he did was he scammed uh, a publishing house into paying him money. Okay. Mm-hmm. But once you have, like once I started reading Michel Foucault after or during the pandemic, I was like, oh, okay, wait. This, this is what he's talking op- about. <laughs> this is exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and, and the change, at least for me, like the change is, is so, so defined, like so, um, like so clear. And that, like there's a very clear demarcation with who I was and what my life was like before versus what it is now. And it, it really does almost feel like there's been a timeline shift. And I'm, I, you know, I know everyone talks about the simulation and, and, and whatnot, but for me at least, that structural change was so profound. Um, that it, it, it is, it's like, I am a different person. What, you know, whenever I came back, I, I guess I kind of look at that as like a, a nether, nether birth, you know, uh, being reborn. And, um, so yeah, I, I yeah. 100% agree with that. I'll, I'll have to look into him. I've been, um, I've been trying Where's to get, <laughs> trying to get back into reading some philosophy. I went down a Hellenistic philosophy rabbit hole a couple of months ago and then started dabbling in Sagan again. So I'm all, I'm, uh, I'm what I call a uh, intellectual masochist. So if it's I'm anything that's out there the, and esoteric uh, and a difficult concept to grasp, I love yeah. listening to it. Yeah. I'm, I'm listening right now off and on to the, uh, to his history of madness um, huh. which is very fascinating how he takes a society. He examines France um, mm-hmm. during this moment where we essentially we or they, because we weren't there, right? But they essentially looked at these people doing this thing, which they'd always been doing, right? Mm-hmm. This had been going on since, since time immemorial. And they basically said, oh, that's madness. Okay, sure. That's, ins- that's a pathology, right? That's a problem. Right. 
you know? And, yeah. And why did they do that? You know, like. Yeah. And so the, the structural changes, I, I suppose, I guess they do slowly um, kind of force reality to evolve. You know, if, if we're talking, uh, like, he, he looks and he, def- if, when something is defined as, as madness or it, uh, it's not acceptable anymore, and then that becomes our accepted definition of, of something, then that structural change going forward yeah. could, could alter reality. Well, you'd brought up something interesting. You, you brought up the simulation. Mm-hmm. And it occurs to me, I don't know how, how old you are. 36. Yeah, 36. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Because it occurred to me that you and I had, had seen the same movie. And that's where we got the idea for the simulation. Mm-hmm. So that's the Matrix, right? Yeah. Um, where essentially we... Keanu Reeves' character finds out he's living in a simulation. And what's been interesting about that is the 21 years or 22. Oh my God, the Matrix yeah, is 23 I know. <laughs> years old. Yeah, I was reading okay, about that the other day. <laughs> wow. Let, let's just sit with that for a minute. <laughs> like the nope. Oh, I was 23. In high school, man. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. The Matrix is 23 years old, which is amazing to say. Uh, but. It was a story where uh, Keanu Reeves essentially discovers that he's living in a computer simulation. And there have been so many changes in the last 20 something years mm-hmm. that that just sort of picked up as like, okay, we're in a simulation. It got glitchy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that is, it really is. And it does feel like it's glitches. I mean, here lately, it feels like it's glitching out every, every month, but um, you know, I think for me, you, okay, wait, can you give me an example of what you mean by glitching out every month? Oh, just a- anytime you read a headline and you're like, come on, this can't be real. This is like, right. this is, I'm going to go to bed and wake up and you know, it's going to be 2012 again. Um, you know, there, there's <laughs> exactly. some people who, who believe that the, the Mayans were right. Um, and that it did end that it did end on, you know, in 2012 or whatever. And now we're just in a simulation. So it, um, but at least for me, like what it, yeah. the simulation feels like for me, I think has to do um, with the, it's called the overview effect. Okay. And I've mentioned Explain it to Explain to me what that is. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not real sure when the concept originated. I know that it kind of came to the forefront of the psychologists and some of the intellectual circles after the Apollo missions. And because, you know, some of these astronauts are coming back, they're reporting higher levels of depression, uh, alcoholism, things like that. And these people, you know, and they couldn't figure it out. And, and um, since then, they've looked at it in athletes and everything else. It's like you, you have achieved the pinnacle of, I mean, for the astronauts, the pinnacle of human achievement, right? Um, and the athletes, everything else. And then it's like on the backside of that, you have a really hard time caring about the same things that other people care about. Uh, and that's been one of the biggest challenges for me, uh, you know, through recovery as, you know, dealing with obviously the PTSD and the, the nightmares, but uh, the biggest one is trying to plug in and agree with everybody else's reality. When you've, you've kind of peeked behind the curtain, you know, like none of this matters, you know? So why, 
why am I going to, you know, engage in this with you? Or why should I care about this when it, it doesn't matter at all? Like it's, it's fake. We've made it up. Um, so that, that's kind of been the challenge. And, and I think f- for me, that's where the, the simulation, that's where it kind of feels most prominent. You know, everyone, you know, the social media age and we live in the age of outrage and everything else. And it's like, it doesn't matter. And I think we've evolved so much as humans that now we're just making up problems, you know, and things to be upset about. I think I couldn't agree more. I, yeah. Oh my, I could not like, wow. Yeah. I mean, look at, I mean, look a hundred years ago, you know, our, if you survived a fever, you know, then you'd really done something. And now we have, we've evolved to the point that we're not really, I mean, we've almost quit evolving as, as a species, um, you know, survival, things like that. We don't have to worry about it. So now we look at other stuff to get, get upset about and, and we put value on, you know, commercialism and everything else when really it's, I mean, it's, it's not real. <laughs> right. You're right. It's, it's so, that's what's so fascinating to me is, so I talk to people all over the world. Mm-hmm. Right. I talk to folks all over the world. And one thing that I've sort of discovered, you know, and, and I live in a big city. I mean, I live in a big city, one of the biggest cities in North America, I found out before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I always thought, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, multicultural or whatever. I'm, I'm urbane or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But what what was shocking to me was how common so many problems really are and how there really is, honestly, more the, that unites than that divides. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you talked about how we live in the age of outrage. Well, the other thing we live in is like this other amazing age of like i can i'm gonna tell you something and we're roughly the same age if if i told you 25 years ago that you'd be able there'd be a rectangle that you could have and you'd be able to communicate with literally anybody in the world yeah in real time and they'd mm-hmm. be able to communicate right back to you. And and you'd be able to to keep up with any sports team anywhere on the planet. And you'd be able to have a conversation with somebody across the globe. And you'd be able to to find out that that you and this other person yelled the same exact thing in two different languages at the yep. same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that's the way we should. Uh, I feel like that's the way we should look at it. You know, I mean that that device that you're talking about. I mean, every day we walk around with in our pocket all of the current, like all of the knowledge known to man currently, is accessible in our pocket. But we use it, you know, to to troll people on Reddit or make dick jokes on the internet. <laughs> so exactly, or, or or okay, or I had a professor years years ago at this point who was going to a conference, right? Mm-hmm. And it was in an airport, an airport hotel. 
and he was he said I've been going to these things for years, right? I've been going to these things for years and I have no idea why on this exact day I chose to have this snap into my brain. But he said there are more intelligent people in this in this two buildings than there were in the entire Mediterranean basin. Yeah. For hundreds of years. And what are we arguing about? Like, let's be constructive with the knowledge and not right. yell at each other and, and take up sides. And he said, why are we doing that? We're doing that for a dental plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're doing that so I can have a dental plan and you can have a dental plan. And, and, and maybe me, retire after we've given our best years to, to a company. <laughs> But exactly. Or you look at what was the amazing. Okay. I used to uh, deal with death records of this organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you would notice would be like people, like first people started dying in their 40s. And then people started dying in their 50s. And then people started dying in their 60s in seventies and eighties. And you look at that and you think if you could go back and talk to these people that were dying in their forties about, Hey, you have high blood pressure. Well, I have, there's a medication and you can Mm -hmm. just take it. Or, Hey, just wash your hands. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Yeah. Or, Or take a regular shower or whatever. Um, but I guess you and I are kind of of the same mind because like we sit around and occasionally, like I'll sit around and be like, this is Star Trek. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm, yeah. I'm a holodeck or whatever. Well, no, like this is this reality. This mm-hmm. is Star Trek. If you go back to 1900, yeah, the, just the, you know? the way knowledge has advanced. I mean, it, it, I mean, it's it's exponentially. But are are we living better lives because of it? I mean, that's up for debate. I would say most people aren't. Um, and, and I think part of what that comes from you're talking. We're talking about structural changes to reality, you know. And and folks like you and I might have that structural change forced on us through medical trauma or or something else. Um, and I think it's it's the people that are having a hard time. It, there's a certain insecurity around not knowing or not having all the answers. And I think that's what we're seeing. Or people are just desperate, and so they're grasping for the answers. And well, if uh, well, my answer is better than your answer, or my fairy tale is better than your fairy tale. And if I'm wrong about one thing, then what else am I wrong about? And and I kind of think that's what it is. That's where you know this. I think that's where all this that we're seeing now uh, is coming from. But it's like, like I said, it, it's so hard for me to engage in things um, just because I, I don't have, like, I, I can't, like, I cannot do it emotionally. Like, it's just not there, which I'm glad. What, you know? what do you, what do you mean you can't, you can't, is it because you're, I guess you want to call it a near death experience? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Because you, once you go through that and you see, you know, what the, how, how, uh, I guess the, if you look at the, the nature of our reality for what it is and you, you see how, um, 
you see how insignificant most things really are at the end of the day. Uh, you just, it's, I, I just can't get involved. I used to be very opinionated and, you know, now I would say I have strong opinions loosely held, but, um, yeah, it, it it's so hard for me to buy into this and it, um, you know, but, but yeah, the, that structural change, I, I keep going back to that. I like that. Cause I think that's what, that's what's happened. And, yeah. you know, I mean, ancient civilizations, it, it's, they've always been about the same thing, you know, death and rebirth, death and rebirth. You can look at, I mean, Christianity, Hindu, uh, the Mayans, the, uh, Greek and Roman mythology, you know, and it's all about the same thing. And which is, um, what Michel, what was his last name again? Michel Foucault. Uh, yeah. And we go off the air. I'll, we can talk more about Please that. do. Yeah. But, you know, and it, it's that structural change, you know, it's death yeah. and rebirth, death and rebirth. So, well, like, okay. I mean, for me personally, like before the pandemic, I was a big sports fan and mm-hmm. I still am, but there's, there's something about hearing about people's problems that I just don't, cause that was a lot of my podcast used to be about, tell me about your experience with COVID. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you hear about somebody's reality from COVID, you're just like, I don't have the energy to care about, the Braves bullpen right now. Right, or, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or know, where the all-star game is going to be. Yeah. I, yeah, right. Or, um, you know, there's when, when you, somebody I follow on Twitter put, um, he quote tweeted something that Dickie Vitale said. And Dickie Vitale said something about a basketball game was a tragedy. And I just, <laughs> like oh my god son really okay let me tell you about a woman who you know her husband's missing an arm mm-hmm. okay all right that's a tragedy and this you're talking about a game yeah exactly <laughs> played by children who is now played by young adults i mean yeah, okay. yeah. i think um louis ck i think he had a bit that i loved years ago and he's talking about how we use the word awesome. <laughs> you know, and he's like, you, you eat, uh, I can't remember it word for word, but the gist of it is you eat hot wings, and, you know, some good wings or something. And you say, oh man, these are awesome. And it's like, really? Is that the word you want to use for that? <laughs> you know, like using tragedy in a basketball game, um, you know, and putting it in perspective, like I, in one of my support groups, there's a gentleman in there and he had an accident. He had a car accident. And he was an elderly gentleman and he was in a coma for, I believe, eight days. And when he woke up, he found out that his wife, when she got the news, uh, she had a heart attack and she passed away while he was in a coma. Um, You know, and so keeping it in perspective and then I'm in, um, I work in real estate. So uh, construction, development, that side of things. And um, just seeing how, it's such an ego driven business and stuff and, and people will act like it's the end of the world. If, uh, if a project gets delayed or, or something happens and it falls apart. And that's been one of my biggest challenges is just caring enough. Um, once you've seen, you know, what matters, um, yeah. and you do it, it, you do it, it redefines parts of your vocabulary. Like I certainly wouldn't use tragedy to describe a basketball game. <laughs> 
Well, no, or, or like you're, it's like people get wound up about certain things and you're just like, okay, yeah. here's one. Uh, yeah. Okay, you want to get wound up about something? How about this? How about we're on the eve of an economic revolution and basically vast tracts of land in this country are completely ill-equipped to survive in mm-hmm. a world where I can I can be in my bedroom, but I'm working in Germany. Right. I'm working in wherever, right? Uh, that, to me, is something we need to focus up on and not, you know, <laughs> worrying about whatever outrage of the second is. Absolutely. A, a Dr. Seuss Good. book. Or, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, pretty much. I mean. Yep. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's, um, I, I don't, I, I feel in a strange way. I feel hopeful though. I think, um, me too. I think the, the structural changes are being forced on us. And I think we're in that period of, of great struggle, you know, before the relief, you know, like I said, the death and rebirth, um, that's talked about in everything those structural changes. Yeah. Um, I do, I, mean, I, I feel hopeful. I've studied history for a lot of years, like a whole lot of years of my life have been, have been for one period or another, have been given over to studying history. And people ask me, well, what's your favorite thing in history? And they're always shocked to find out the answer. My favorite thing in history is at one point in our, in our, in our, biological entity tree being on this earth right we were down to about 10,000 there was like 10,000 hairless apes yep the the bottleneck extinction event yeah 3 to 10,000 well, heard about well that. okay but they they happened upon like these carcasses and they started eating instinctively they started eating the bone marrow and these huh. were animals that did not have the digestive, or I mean, the, the teeth capability to eat bone marrow. And here they were eating it just to survive. Huh. And to me, that gives me hope. Because if we descend from a creature that thought, you know, I was on team, uh, I was on team nuts and berries, mm-hmm. but I'm hungry. So I'm going to be on team bone marrow right now, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, and so, from, and from that, the ones that that might have had, they might have been a genetic anomaly, and you know, the um, the, the ones that had the teeth had, or might have accidentally had stronger, better teeth, were the ones that that succeeded. You know, and it's like the evolution of of animals and all that is one you know, one genetic anomaly that, that might be considered different or off that turns out to be a, an, an advantage in the evolution. So I, th- I think what we're seeing now is, you know, people are the ones that are equipped, you know, your, your social genetic anomalies, I guess, the ones that know how to embrace change and, and seek information and education. Those are the ones, you know, that, that I think are going to cause the, the biggest shift. Um, and, and it's, 
I mean, it, it will be like that bottleneck extinction event all over again, except this time it's going to happen on a broader scale and, and it's going to be more information based and more knowledge based. Um, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm so I'm so glad you found me. I couldn't agree more. I am, too. I am, too. Um, I, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this. I'll t- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one um, one funny thing that I had happened to me in whenever I was going through all this, talking about the nature of reality, um, whenever I woke up, I guess it was a, about a day or two after I woke up, I said, who is the doctor that looked like Philip Seymour Hoffman? And my wife was like, uh, nobody. <laughs> so I had a team of like 12 doctors. And uh, she's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who it was. And I said, there was, I know for a fact, because I remember being on the elevator and I remember him talking to me and telling me that things didn't look good. And it, it took a couple of days before it clicked. I was like, oh, that was a hallucination. <laughs> that wasn't reality. But here I thought I was having a conversation with, with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, and then, you know, there was another one when I had just woke up and I was still intubated and restrained. And I was in, I was in my hospital room. My family was in there. The nurses were in there. But there was also a big black jaguar in there and he was perched on top of my monitors, <laughs> like whipping his tail. Like, you know, when a cat gets ready to pounce and they, they do that slow kind of pendulum with their tail. And this Jaguar is sitting on top of the monitors and I'm staring at him and I wasn't scared, but I knew if I looked away, then he was going to pounce and, and hurt somebody. Um, and so I sat there and I stared at him. I don't know how many hours they, they say I stared at my monitor for several hours, but they were like, Oh yeah, that's your heart monitor. And that's this. And I couldn't talk, but I was like, Hey, this we've got an apex predator here in the corner and nobody's talking about this. Um, and going back to, you know, we were talking about the, the, the Mayans and, and different cultures. I remember the first time I went to Chichen Itza and I saw the temple of the Jaguar and how that was, that was kind of the symbolism of, of death and rebirth. The he was he would be half man, half jaguar once he survived death, or, or something along those lines. Um, now, now let me let me let me back up a second here. Now, would would your wife have said that you went to Chichen Itza? Oh yeah, no, no, I really did. I went in two thousand and six. Two thousand, yeah, right, okay. yeah, oh six okay. or oh seven. Right. I, I went. That was a real trip. That was a real trip. But that's a valid question. <laughs> that's a valid question. When, no, like that's that, yeah. So I um one one of those I was so I was on my way to um I was on my way to Joshua Tree and I remember I was driving a ninety seven Azuzu Trooper. I've never owned okay, that car. This, okay, wait. Is this, this is hallucination? Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and I'm driving to Joshua tree and I have a, I have a flat and I'm like, great middle of the desert stuck with the flat. I'm standing there and I see a car coming and it's one of my best friends who I hadn't seen her in over a year. She moved to Denver and I hadn't seen her since then. And I thought, Oh, what are the odds? And she pulled over and helped me change the flat. And we talked for a long time on the side of the road. And then I woke up. And found out later that she had actually been in town for a wedding and came to visit me. And she sat with me for several hours. And um, so it was interesting how, how that bled through and how real, how actual reality bled through. But there was also a Jaguar sitting on a heart machine, heart monitor. So it, um, 
but yeah, it's, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but well, I mean, when you, when you look at the deep, I mean, when you look at what we would think of as the medieval past or the mm-hmm. dark ages or whatever, um, and especially like when you think about, um, the pilgrims, um, it's really fascinating, um, to th- to look at some of their accounts and to real and to as a modern human in a in a in a post scientific age revolution age right it's really interesting to look at that and be like okay when this guy says he went to the gates of hell and he's vividly describing hell okay mm-hmm. he didn't go to hell he something he took a a substance or now the debate is did he do that on purpose or did he do it uh you know did he do it on purpose or did he do it accidentally and did he, if he did it on purpose did he do it reverentially or did he do it experimentally you know mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so it's really interesting like all the societies that that homo sapiens have lived in that that play with with the here and now, where what we think of as the here and now. Yeah, well, in <laughs> talking about hell, I mean, if you look at, uh, which I I grew up in a very very strict uh, religious household, and I, I got away from it in my twenties and went went atheist, and now I would say I'm more agnostic, um, even after my experience. But if you look at the modern depictions, so how. It, hell, for instance, the modern depictions, most of that doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from Dante's Inferno. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say that, that Satan presided over hell. No, but that was in Dante's Inferno. And it's it's interesting to see how things, how one man's reality. So Dante had a had a message, right? He he had his his agenda. And so he he has an interpret puts a spin on something, an interpretation, and you know. However, however many hundreds or thousands of years later, we've we've basically built uh, entire religions, fought wars, and killed people over an interpretation of a place we don't even know if it exists or not. <laughs> uh, you know, the same I, with I heaven. would imagine. I would imagine somebody like you, um, having been through what you've been through, you kind of just your patience for that just goes away. Oh, it really does. It, going back to, like I said earlier, I just cannot bring myself to get involved in some yeah, things. Yeah. And one of those is any discussion about modern religion. Um, but it's also interesting because like, you know, Carl Sagan says, you know, give us one free miracle and, and we'll explain the rest with science. Right. And that miracle is how, how did we get here exactly? And so I didn't come back, you know, there were no pearly gates, no winged angels. Um, it was just a very peaceful place. Uh, and I don't know if that's the DMT dump, you know, they, they say that your pineal gland dumps all the DMT and, and that's where those come from. But I've, I'm, I mean, I, um, you know, i worked with psychedelics a few years ago as a way to uh, treat depression and it worked wonderfully. Um, and it's just interesting that, that it yeah. felt similar, but still didn't, it wasn't the same. And so it's like, well, if that was just a brain chemical, like I've missed it. So I'd like not knowing, uh, even after I've, I've been there, um, I, I like the not knowing and, and I don't, I think it's dangerous when we try to, um, 
anytime we try to force our belief on someone else, but uh, yeah, well, when we try to put when we try to put labels on it, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and it comes to, it comes from fear. It comes from people like I don't have that fear anymore, and other people don't that I've talked to who have who are in this this club, if you will. Um, you don't have the fear anymore because you know it does. You don't have to understand it uh, because it's nothing. There's no reason to build religions. Uh, there's no reason to, to fight wars or, you know, build mega churches all over the belief that one fairy tale is better than the other because it, in the end, it doesn't matter. You know, I um, yeah. So, so that is that is interesting. Yeah. How going yeah. taking back to how one person or, you know, and for a lot of evangelical Christians, the Book of Revelation, right? The end times. That's their death and rebirth after the story of Christ, of course. Um, yeah. And it's like, well, that man was, he was a political prisoner. We do know that. And so, but, but you're going to build, you know, you're going to m- murder people. You're going to do all these things in the name of one man who wrote a political hit piece, um, you know, and use, use well, allegories that people would understand. So but really his reality, you know, his reality yeah. was, that this was going on, you know, he had been exiled to an Island. And so he writes and he describes it in the best terms they know. Um, and all of a sudden it, it's been accepted. And now that's a part of most people's reality. Yeah. You know, and they, they've all agreed. Really on it so I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you, but You're it's fine. really interesting to, to think about um, when you look at history today, like our modern understanding of the Roman empire or I guess the late Roman Empire. Um, it's really interesting to to take it from a historical standpoint and to look at, say, for example, um, how how there was a there could have been basically for to put a modern word to it a terrorist network or a, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to use the word terrorist. What I want to use is the word, the phrase people who did not like living under the Roman rule. Right. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. And they basically corresponded with other people who did not like living under Roman rule. Okay. And it's really, really interesting to, to, to drain once you drain the the Christian religion of the the holiness, and you just look at the fact pattern, you can really uh, actually kind of get how. Yeah, I could totally see how there could be these people that could write with other groups of people, other pods of people, all over the Mediterranean basin. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I mean, you know, it, it's just really interesting. But the modern, this is a modern historian's uh, sort of reinterpretation, not reinterpretation, but objectification of the Roman Empire. Because we've been for so long toiling in the, uh, the telling that, you know, the Victorians told of the Romans. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. And only, only in the last 20 or 30 years has anybody bothered to step outside of that at least in the west okay and has bothered to step outside of that and really look at these people for who they might have been and and really see them as you know there were people that they were 
basically putting, you know, the boot to, or I guess the sandal to, so to say, who who might not have wanted to be under that sandal. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> and you know, but anyway. Yeah, it, it it's um, interesting too. You know, when you look at so that was happening over there. You know, we call, if you want to call it, you know, BC or or um, you know, before Common Era, whatever you want to call it. Um, this some of the same things were happening over there that were happening in in China, you know, in um, South America, you know, in these places that the they were all happening, and it, it's interesting to see how things, you know, how history rhymes. Um, and in the context of religion, what I find most fascinating are the ones that were telling the same story of death and rebirth and, and life after death. They're telling the same story that was told in the Bible, but using a different cast of characters to do it. And they were talking about it before, before that ever came along. Um, you know, the, the, um, yeah, it, it's just fascinating because it, it has over time, it, it has impacted our reality. You know, the black cats and witches, for instance, um, you know, how one of the popes, I can't remember, he said black cats were of the devil. And so now we associate black cats with bad luck and, and witches, you know? Um, yeah. And that's, that's shaped our reality in, in more of a, at least I think in, in a harmless pop culture way, but there are some people that actually believe, you know, in witches, which is, so that, that's funny. Um, going back to, we were talking about imagining like hell or heaven um, and how, what, what I experienced yeah. doesn't really fit into the traditional box of what's taught in the Bible or accepted as, as the traditional afterlife. Um, but one thing that I experienced was I, there was a moment, uh, there was a moment when I thought, so I was waking up, coming off all the drugs was was brutal, and I thought that the nurses were witches. And every time I would look at them, like their their complexion on their face would change, but I could I could I couldn't talk. And I thought uh, my daughter, who was uh, she was five at the, six at the time, um, yeah, and she I thought they were going to take her. So I was trying to communicate. My dad was holding my hand. And I was, I had a plan. I was like, okay, the witches, they've got to my family and they've replaced like the replacements. So I was like, what I'm going to do, I'm going to break this guy's hand and then I'm going to run out and I'm going to find my daughter. Well, I couldn't have, cause I was restrained. Um, and, but I did, I tried breaking his hand because I thought that there were more of like a traditional telling of witches. So so even that has impacted the reality, and we, we've kind of stored that for for a hallucination. You know, I, I I was just having a very I was in a very dark place, and so what came to me, you know, I thought someone was hurting me. Oh, they must be witches, you know. Yeah. So it, um, yeah, it, it is interesting. No, Which I, it's 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 interesting. Um. Um. You know, and during that time. During that time, I was actually experiencing what's called ICU delirium, and that is something that I that I do want to talk about a little bit because it's oh, so sure. go ahead. yeah it it's so misunderstood um, that ICU delirium is is basically an acute onset of dementia that some people get when they spend an ex- if they have an extended uh, stay in the ICU or medical trauma, and I mean it's so 
the, the, you're not talking to the same person that, that you were before. So even when I was awake, I still had ICU. I slipped into what's called ICU delirium. And that is very what? dangerous. Okay. Can you explain that to me? Like, yeah. I, don't, it, I, I know the term. I don't. I've never so it's, it's still, it. it's still misunderstood. And which one of my doctors, actually, Dr. Wes Ely here at Vanderbilt, he's one of the, the world's leading researchers on it. And basically, it's like an acute onset of dementia. So you can be 20, you know, or you can be 70. But if you are, it, it has to do with your, your brain's response to trauma. Some, there's some really good research saying some of the medications and restraints, uh, like they're saying too many benzos, which they use some, you know, very strong benzos to keep you out when they when they medically induce your coma. And uh, basically it's some people are going home from the ICU with dementia because the doctor, the hospital or the family, I'm sorry, I've got a siren going by. No, Wait. So the, So with the acute onset dementia, I mean, it's, it, it's no different than what you would see in, in someone who's in the late stages of life that have it. Uh, very angry, um, very confused, kind of resorting back to, you know, your memory's not there. You don't know who you can trust. Um, and some doctors still don't understand it. There's, it, it, and, and certainly families don't, you know, and it, um, so that, that is something to, uh, th- I think that's something I'd, I'd like to see explored more because if, if we want to talk about. Yeah. But uh, sorry about that. <laughs> I live on a busy, no, busy it, stretch. It, it's no problem. It's no problem. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, the, the ICU delirium is, is something that, that when I was awake and when I was hallucinating while I was awake, which was different than when I was under um, and certainly different than when I died. But when I was hallucinating, when I was awake, that was very real to me, but it was a delirium. And I, and you know, there was a chance that they couldn't, that, that they couldn't kind of bring me out of it. Uh, so I, I got very fortunate there that I didn't go home at, at the age of 35 with dementia. Um, but it, um, yeah, yeah. The entire experience was was a something I I still have a hard time believing that it happened to me. Just because going back to reality and the timelines, my life is so different now that it's like that happened to a different person. Um, and yeah, my reality has changed, but I think for the better in some ways. How much of that? Because you keep talking about changes. How much of that has to do with like, um, for a lot of people, 2020 was a bonkers year. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so when did this, okay. So like, when did this happen basically? Because so July, I was in the hospital from July. Uh, I went in July 5th. I was in for 38 days, I think. Then I went to rehab, inpatient rehab to, you know, walking and all that to get learn to do all that again. Mm-hmm. And I was home. I was still in recovery. Basically, I, I wasn't able to work yet. I still had to have a babysitter for the first couple of months. And um, yeah, and then in March of 2020, the whole world shut down. And so that was um, 
that was a ride because I actually had, uh, and it was a PTSD response, but whenever they were talking about, well, you could end up on a ventilator and just the nightmare scenario that that ventilator is, um, I, I went, I spiraled, man. I I fell down a hole with depression and whatnot. and, And I've come back from that. So yeah, it's, it's like I had the changes of the, the medical trauma, but then also living in a, in a post COVID world. Uh, at the same time and trying to trying to put my life back together before COVID and then dealing with what essentially was everyone's new reality. Um, I, so I would say a lot of the changes have had to do with, with COVID as well, for sure. Yeah. What are, what are some changes that have had to do with COVID? Um, well, I think for me, I, I didn't realize how much I needed that, that human connection. Um, that just being able to go into the office or, or being able to call and, and go see a friend. Um, obviously, you know, financially, I think it hit everyone. Uh, me being self-employed, it was, it was especially brutal. But um, so I, I would say it, it kind of took some of the lessons I learned after dying and, and going through that medical experience. And it just turned, turned a few of them up. Like, yeah, you do need to value relationships more. Yeah, you do need to pick up the phone and call that person. Uh, yeah, you know, or put the phone down and, and go for a walk. Um, maybe don't spend money the way <laughs> the way you used to. So those, um, I, I would say those kind of are, are at least the, the structural changes that, that hit um, my household and me personally, and I would imagine most people. You know, thankfully... I wasn't really, t- our family hasn't been touched by COVID. I had um, my sister and her husband have had it. And then early on though, I, I lost two, um, I lost two friends to it. They, they were older. Um, but yeah, just, I, I would say sorting, so sorting out the medical trauma and then having to live through, you know, the pandemic and the fear, the not knowing, you know, I remember leaving groceries on the front porch after they were delivered for hours and then sanitizing everything, you know, wiping down cantaloupes with, <laughs> with disinfectant wipes, you know, cause we didn't know anything back then. We, we didn't know. Yeah. So it's, um, and I mean, you know, I think off air, we talked about my Spanish flu podcast. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, we still don't know anything. I mean, yeah. because no. this could change. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're still learning about how long the vaccines, you know, thankfully I'm fully vaccinated. And, um, but it's, yeah, yeah the, um, it, it's going to impact, it, it's definitely going to impact the way we live and interact in ways we, we haven't realized yet. That's for sure. You know, the, um, the, 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 and pe- some people are just refusing to accept that structural change, which I think is where most of your anti-vax and anti-mask and, and that whole crowd that has politicized uh, basic healthcare measures, um, I, I think it's it's refusing that structural change. It's refusing to accept, you know, the new reality. Um, well, I mean, at some point, see, I'm of the opinion of what if that is the new reality? Like, what if? Okay, so I have an opinion that I didn't have a month ago. Okay. Or two months ago. What if this is the new reality? What if, like you're saying, like reality is is a thin veil? So what if, 
you can construct your own reality. Well, I think you can to an extent, you know. Um, okay, right. <laughs> but let's say, what if 85 million people decide that COVID didn't happen? Oh, it, I mean, it, it could. The, I you mean, see what I'm saying? Like, that's what I mean. Yeah. It, um, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the only thing about that is there are so, to an extent, you can formulate your own reality, but I think there are other measures um, yeah. or there are other, uh, I don't want to say measures, influences that just, they don't care what your reality is. One of those being death. Uh, and I would say a, a virus and a pandemic would be another one. It, you know, you don't have to, we don't have to accept that it's real, but it's not going to, it's not going to stop. Uh, you know, like it, it is going to exist independent of, of whether we accept it or not. Um, what did, what did Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson say? Uh, science doesn't care who you vote for. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, so talking about that and going back to, you know, the Roman Roman rule and what we were talking about then, you know, I mean, you look and there were people that they were trying to destroy that knowledge. They were trying to destroy what little science there was and, you know, which happened during the Inquisition and the Crusades, burning libraries and things. And we lost so much knowledge there. I mean, Roman concrete, you know, they knew how to make concrete um, a thousand years before anyone else. And part of the reason is because that was lost. Like their, their ingredient list, their recipe for making concrete was lost. And it was a thousand more years um, so the, this whole anti-science thing going on right now, you know, that's, it doesn't matter. You know, you can be anti-science all you want, but it's, it's not without peril, you know, science. Well, well, here's something that I forget where I learned this, but it was college or some podcast or something. But the reason they thought giants were a thing, the reason Europeans thought giants were a thing was they would look up at the aqueducts. And they couldn't imagine people building something that high. Huh. Yeah. So they thought, well, they must just be giants? They must have been giants. That's that's funny. That's, you know, and well, going back to yeah. witches, you know, if you ever hear, if you've ever heard like a fox or, or like a mountain lion, if you've ever heard them scream at night, it's terrifying. And so, mm -hmm. but it makes sense, you know, when you're living in a small village and on the outside of, you know, when there's zero boundary between you and the wilderness and you hear that coming from the woods at night. Well, of course it's, it's going to be a witch. And if witches exist, then it must be her, you know? <laughs> so that, um, well, right. I've never witches heard that. About awesome. giants, yeah. And they also think that Hansel and Gretel was, um, Gretel. I mean, the witch in Hansel and Gretel was basically a, a Jewish woman. Yeah. Lived outside the village. Yeah. Yeah, so, and so yeah. That's, that's interesting too. When you you look at like folk tales and folklore, um, yeah. you know the Brothers Grimm, all of those, and it's in a sense, it's telling the same story as as is being told through through religions. Uh, that's love, you know, the redeeming power of love, or uh, the the moral lessons that are being taught. Well, that was just their way to get that message through, and so um, it, that's. Mm -hmm we've all been telling the same story. I mean, everyone's been telling the same story of, of death and, and rebirth. And, 
uh, for a long time. And so it's just kind of interesting coming back from it and seeing the other side and being like, oh, this is what, okay, this is what everyone's taught. This is the reason that it rhymes. And there's a common thread through this, um, you know, because there is, I, I don't know if evil exists. I, I'm still, you know, on the fence about that. So I don't buy into all this portrayal of, of good and evil fighting, but it, um, you know, the, through through history, the way we've had our beliefs influenced, like a, a Jewish woman living outside the village in Hansel and Gretel, or black cats being bad, and so everyone kills black cats, and then the plague comes through and wipes out, you know, two hundred million people, <laughs> and that so those it, it it's almost scary if you think about it how easy it is for one person or a small handful of people to influence everyone else's reality if it just gets repeated enough. Well, right. And then you have to think about, I mean, they've done a lot of studies that have, that have shown, I guess, how pliable, um, you know, like how pliable memory and things like that are. Oh, it's yeah. It's really, you know, like. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and the, I remember, like, I think I've said this on my podcast. I know I've said it in real life, but I'm I always go back to about ten years ago. There was a there was a study that came out. Actually, it was longer than ten years ago. Now, Jesus, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was a study that came out where. It was done by a bunch of psychiatrists. And the study basically decided that we weren't meeting stupid people anymore. Like, the study essentially decided that, you know, we're all getting smarter as a species. Right. And, okay. So, I had been extensively trained in political science. Right. And one thing they teach you in political science is how to... Um, look at poll methodologies, look at study methodologies and pick apart that methodology, right? And the thing that I, even at the time, was like, did you run this by a political scientist before you bothered to publish it? Because right away I can pick out a couple of problems. Um you're you're studying people that live within driving distance of a major hospital, mm -hmm. right? You're studying people that want to have their IQ tested, okay? Who wants to have their IQ tested? People who think having a high IQ is a big deal. Yep. Right? right? People who want to feel special. Exactly, exactly. Or people who think that is special, mm -hmm. right? People who think that is special. And I, I mean, I'm of the opinion that that study did a whole lot of damage in our society. Oh, because cool. we we put we went to sleep. Basically, we went to sleep. You know, but um, went, went to sleep in in what ways? Okay, remember the early days of the pandemic, right? When everybody when everybody thought. Well, not everybody, but lots of people thought that all this is going to take is 
for some expert to come around and tell people that, no, this is real and you have to, you know, wear a mask or whatever. <laughs> right. Right. And there, and now there's just some people that we all know now. They're just never going to think this was ever real. Right. That this was ever real or that it ever happened or that whatever. There are people dying in the ICU f- from COVID and they still deny it. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so hopefully this this timeline will correct itself soon. <laughs> hopefully this part of the simulation. There we go again with there we yeah. go again with the timeline or the simulation is glitchy yeah. or so whatever here, so for me like it, it does it goes back to um I, I'd love to go deep on all that the 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 timeline the the reality like there's I mean um Stephen Hawk I mean some of the greatest minds have said yeah it is very possible that we have a parallel universe out there <laughs> so if that's possible and there are some things that I experienced um you know in through my medical trauma and whatnot, yeah. the coma. There are some things I experienced that when I come back, I'm like, maybe they were right. You know, as far as time, um, there, one, there was one, uh, I had, it was, it was in the 1800s. I don't know when exactly, but I was with a family of, and I know how crazy this sounds, but I, it felt like I spent about 14 years, uh, growing up with this family. Um, of, of slave traders actually. And it was so real to the point that a few months ago, I started diving into genealogy just to see like, did anyone, was my family ever a part of that? Like this, did I see something or was it just like a, a dream that's made up? Because if, if it's a dream and my brain was, you know, under all that stress and, and that amount of drugs, um, then that was, that's pretty wild that they can, that that your brain can go there. And it, it does it. You, you remember being a child, uh, in a time that the only thing you've done is see black and white pictures. And so I did, I I started researching and, you know, I found out some interesting things about my family history from that time period, but nothing that ever really lined up, but it is, it's like, did, I'm not saying it makes a case for remote viewing, you know, but when you look at, how, you know, the CIA with um, Project Stargate, you know, they're using people to remote view and they had some success with that. And it's like, that makes a pretty compelling argument that, that there is a way to, you know, it, that time isn't what we think it is. And that, you know, it's maybe I was seeing a replay that was stored somewhere, you know. Um, one thing I, I do believe in now that I've, I've been through all this is, I, I have to believe at least a little bit in um, past lives just because there were so many things that I, I don't, I can't explain why I experienced them, you know, uh, uh, different time periods and, and whatnot and things that I had never really thought about or had shown any interest in before. Um, one hallucination or one dream, whatever I had was about Greta Garbo, the actress. Um, and I've, I couldn't tell you the first thing about her before I went, you know, before I went through all that. But, um, and I have no idea why I would have had her of all people, 
why she of all people would have would have appeared because it's not like she's not like an Audrey Hepburn or or someone from that time that's you know just this prolific person that everyone knows and is a, even now is common in in pop culture. Um, so it's like, huh? Were there? You know, and you look at Bob Bigelow, uh, the guy who bought you know the big billionaire that bought Skinwalker Ranch and whatnot, and how he. You know, I mean, he's working with UCLA and stuff, and and he's got a reward out for someone that can prove that there's life after death or past lives. And so it's like, well, I mean, yeah. maybe there is a case to be made for it. And all it would mean was that time just isn't linear. It's it's not how we measure it. It's not what we think it is. It's it's we're experiencing this version of it right now. So that I guess that's what I mean by timeline. But yeah, I've I've taken up a, a newfound interest in in all of that since since coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like we've been at this for, for how how much longer you want to go? Oh, oh, I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm good. All right, cool. I'm good. We can land it whenever you want. My my people know how to use their pause button, and if not, they're gonna learn. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So, can you juxtapose? Okay. So, what were you like before the accident or whatever? Um. Hmm. That might be a better question for my wife. I know there was, I, I always had like this base level of anxiety, like this, this frenetic energy um, where I was always kind of just had, to, I had to have something, um, you know, and, and going back as far as I can remember, I've I always tied my self-worth to what I was able to do or accomplish, you know, growing up in a blue collar household and stuff. It's like, you know, the, the Puritan work ethic, um, working hard and things like that. And so I always had to have a project and, um, I never knew how to be present because there was always something on the other side of, you know, it's like, well, why am I going to relax at the beach when I could be up in the, up in the hotel room working, um, things like that. You know, the first couple of years of my daughter's life, I, I bargained and was like, well, I can spend extra time trying to build my business and work because she's not going to remember these first three years, you know? And so I would say that is gone e- ego. That's been ground out of me. <laughs> that, I mean, that I, I don't really have much of an ego at all anymore, but um, yeah. So it, there, there are days and, and recovery is, is something. And that's one thing I want to like drive home and is, is recovery is not, it's not a straight line. Um, so there are days you wake up feeling peaceful and enlightened, like, oh, everything makes sense and the world is your oyster. And then there are days you wake up and you, um, you know, you, you don't even want to walk out the door, uh, because you, something happens and it, it reminds you of what you lost, you know, um, which there are parts of my personality that have changed and not for the better, because there are some things about myself that I liked. Um, and now it's it, it's like that's a different person, and so trying to engage that um, is has been has been challenging, and and some days are easier than others. You know, some days I get I would say in my business I'm in one of the worst places you can be in because my phone will ring or somebody will 
somebody will talk to me and they want to know how I'm doing, but they're more interested in what happened to me than they are doing business. <laughs> so, um, I would say the, the biggest change is, is that frenetic energy, um, and that low hum of menace, uh, has, they've, they've kind of, they've kind of flipped, um, to where some days the anxiety isn't a low hum of menace. It's, it's blaring in your ears. Uh, and then some days it's not there at all. So it, um, yeah, I've, some days the, my changes are, are more pronounced. Like I can notice the difference easier than others, but I try not to look back so much. Um, I feel fortunate in a way, and I want to be careful how I say it, but the, the whole world's shutting down basically for a year. I feel like that kind of gave me a little bit of time to get my sea legs back under me as far as um, mentally, you know, taking care of my mental health and uh, being ready for, you know, when it reopens, you know, live music, you know, going on trips with, with friends and, and stuff like that. I, I feel like I'll be in a better place because I've, I've been, you know, working with therapists and, and group therapy and things and really trying to invest in that. So, um, that's, that is an improvement. I will say after the, the event, I guess is now I'm, I'm taking care of my mental health. Isn't an afterthought. It's not on a back burner. Now it's, I mean, it's almost as, as forefront of my mind as well, brush your teeth today. Um, so you know, learning like mindfulness tools and stuff is, is what I mean by taking care of mental health. But um, yeah, lots of changes. Not all bad, not all good either, but um, I, I feel fortunate to be here. You know, I mean, we all, we only, um, I've heard it before. It says we only get one dance and nobody knows when the song's going to end, um, which yeah, I, I suspect we might get more than one dance. I don't know though that that will never be proven, but it, it doesn't have to be for me to kind of not be afraid of, of what's on the other side anymore. Um, because well, to be what honest, is the na- what's that? What is the nature of proof? I mean, yeah, I think it's yeah, well, whatever, but right, I can't, yeah. I mean, I, all I can, all I can say is, is I know what I've experienced, and so. Th- so I'm comfortable with my version of that reality um, to be. And what's kind of weird is, is when I was in that place, you know, when I was kind of sitting with that light, that, that brilliant light. And one thing that still, I, I can't put my finger on why, but something about that is I've been trying to make sense of that for a while. And I, I had, have a very vivid memory of sitting like not standing, not laying down. I was just sitting in that place with that line. And like, you don't want to leave, but you also like, you kind of miss, you know, you, you, you think about things and you, you want to go back, I guess, but you really don't want to leave. And that's kind of the scary part. Um, but yeah, the, um, yeah, for me, peeking behind the curtain is all the proof that I need for myself. Um, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll never, I'll never understand the, the the people that have to have all the answers. You know, I, I've kind of dabbled in in Buddhist philosophy and and whatnot as far as the obstacle is the way and and get comfortable with questions. You know, look for the questions, don't look for the answers. Um. So yeah, I guess they're the yeah, what is what is proof? I I don't know. <laughs> It's a very personal, I mean, very personal experience, you know. 
there's a lot of little, I mean, I don't know. It's like, when I think back to, I guess like, well, like when you go look at, um, I say it all the time that we're in a technological revolution. Mm Mm-hmm. And the thing I think is, like, did the people, okay, were there people who knew the printing press was around, who thought the printing press was either never going to catch on, or they thought it might have been bad, right? Oh, of course. I, I don't know the answer to that. And the reason I picked the printing press is because stupidly that's that's the revolution that I, this is an analogous to me. Yeah, I can but, see that. With, with, with know, AI and, and whatnot? Well, yeah. Um, but also the ability to communicate with somebody anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, well, I mean, think about it. If the um you know it wouldn't have been too long ago and you and i wouldn't it would take us days or weeks to have this conversation you know either okay calling you long distance or mailing you a letter you know so yeah i, I see that the um the, the yeah. connectivity you know i mean that's the ba- if if this hadn't worked if the zencaster hadn't worked um that's that is the backup plan right. for you to call a number and <laughs> You know? Yeah, and even then, the fact that we can connect like that. God, I mean, yeah, I mean, I remember when phone, like, I remember using a, a, a cell phone, um, not for the first time, but for the first time on a business call, where I realized this is going to make long distance obsolete. Yeah. The fact that I can do this anywhere is going to make long distance obsolete. I remember, you know? I remember the first time I saw a cell phone, like we were at a gardening store and this guy comes, he's like pushing his basket by and he's got a bag phone. I was like, Whoa, it's like, that's the future, man. Like he must be rich. <laughs> and it's crazy. Cause like, you know, my daughter, she'll never experience the changes that, that my wife and I have experienced um, technologically. But here's the mind-blowing thing, right? And I'm sure as a father, you think about this all the time. If I had kids, I sure as hell would. What's that kid going to see when that kid is my age? That's terrifying to think about. Because <laughs> if you look, you know, exponentially, we have, you know, it's like the, the exponential growth we've seen in, in technology since in the past 25 years, you know, the past 50 years, you know, there's, if I believe, you know, the, the one good argument, if I was to get into the whole alien, uh, you know, belief in aliens and visiting us, the one compelling argument that I find in all that is how fast we've advanced technologically. Now I'm not saying that they came here and gave us knowledge, but no, no other time in history. And it, um, and so taking it back to the beginning, you know, the nature of reality is what we all agree upon. Well, if you look at how fast technology is advancing, I mean, our reality is changing pretty rapidly. 
See, the thing I think is going back to my cute little example about I could work in my bedroom and but be working for a company in Germany mm-hmm. um, or wherever. What, how long from that is it going to take Bitcoin to come into the world, right? And then once you bring Bitcoin as the primary mode of payment, I mean, then you've liberated a bunch of stuff. Right. Then, and not only that, but you have suddenly now it becomes you with your government, whatever your government is, right? Is suddenly now a transactional, like, okay, why should I pay you? Why should I voluntarily release this Bitcoin to you? Okay, because with Bitcoin, Nobody has any proof that you have that but you. Right. right? It, it's so, that reality we've all agreed upon. Oh, it's worth 50000 because, well, it, there's only going to be 81 million of them. Well, why? Uh, because we, it's what we decided. <laughs> I don't know, though. I mean, I get, I, I get that. I get the other side of it, okay? And I, I've had Bitcoin people, both pro and con, on my podcast. And... I have what I would characterize as an evolving uh, take on Bitcoin, a very evolving take, right? Right. But I could totally see where that's how people are going to get paid later on. You know, yeah. Because that company in Germany, it's not going to pay you in dollars, right? It's going to pay you in euros, okay? Well, you can't take a euro down to the Kroger, <laughs> or down exactly. to whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the exchange rate, you know, you've got to, you know, the exchange well, rate well, is, is going to eat into it. Right. One way or the other. Right. And so, and people being people, they're going to iron this out. They're yep. going to figure this out, you know? Well, and I find that Bitcoin, I'm, I'm still sore about Bitcoin. I bought I think it was 2015, I believe it was. Whenever it was hovering just under $200, um, I bought five of them. And I have no clue where that wallet is or where that key is. So <laughs> I'm a little salty on that. But, you know, back then, I, I, you know, I believed in it. I kind of saw what it could be. But now you look, Dogecoin, I find fascinating because it's a meme coin but now all of a sudden Mark Cuban is going to accept it for payment. Uh, you know, you've got a very successful respected billionaire who's going to accept it as payment. You know, Elon Musk is, is hyping it. So the, um, yeah, I mean, working yeah. from, you, you know, 25 years ago, if you would have told me, if I would have said, Oh, what do you do? And you're like, Oh, well, I work for a company in Germany, you know, uh, the, but yeah, I'm in they, my bedroom they, they and I'm- this way. I would be like, this guy's, you know, this guy, he's, He's full, you know, he's full of shit. It's like this dude, he doesn't work yeah. for a company. But now that's a reality that didn't exist 25 years ago, you know, or 30 years. I don't years think ago. it existed. Okay. I don't think it existed two years ago. Yeah. I mean, I heard a podcast the other day about Logitech. Okay. Mm-hmm. Logitech, it turns out, was the only company around that was making right and proper webcams. Right. Right right and proper. This is a webcam. Okay. Logitech is now more valuable in the last year 
than it ever was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but that's only going to increase. Oh yeah. That, that, that value is only going to increase. I mean, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. It, um, it, it, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. I, I try not to get too, too far ahead of myself, <laughs> you know, and I try, I, I try not yeah. to, to worry about how, you know, things are going to impact, you know, financially, how things are going to be changing and, Oh, am I, am I positioned? Have I positioned my family for in the next five years that we're going to be okay or, or not. And it, it um, yeah, because we are, it, it's the way we do business is changing. The, the way we interact with each other is changing yeah. and there are going to be casualties to that. Yeah. Who knows what the next five years or even yeah. five months are going to bring. I mean, if there, yeah. If there's one thing I've learned, it's that one day can make all that. I mean, just a few hours can make a difference. You know, whenever yeah, I'm, I made exactly. it, to the, whenever I made it to the hospital, you know, they, they said I had a, a few more hours. If I wouldn't have made it in, then they wouldn't have been able to bring me back. Um, so yeah, I, I try to try to be more present, you know, and that's, that's key, especially for taking care of your mental health. But yeah, it's, it gets hard to do though. When you look and we are in an economic revolution and a technological revolution right now, you know, I mean the industrial revolution, was nothing you know everyone looks back on that as like this big you know like defining pivotal moment and it was in a way but what we're about to go through and what we are going through is is um i mean it's going to change humanity you know in ways that the industrial revolution didn't exactly i mean you're exactly right um in what like in what ways do you think it's going to change uh well, I mean, obviously, education is is going to change as it should to keep up with. You know, we don't need the, the way the public school system was set up in the in the teens and twenties. It was set up to produce worker bees for industrialized America. Well, now, if someone is is still trying to to just be a worker bee, they're getting left behind. You know. Um, AI, I think, is is terrifying when you think about it. But if we don't find a way to tax these companies that are using robots to do people's jobs and look at some sort of basic income, then what are we going to do with that whole segment of the population that's left behind economically? Because for they've been driving a truck for 20 years and they can't go back to school to be a programmer. And now all of a sudden that truck is, is um, driving itself. So... It, it's. I think it's going to be interesting, and I don't. I think it's one of those that we don't know. Yeah. By the time we realize, by the time we realize some things, it's going to be too late. Well, here's the thing. I here's again, the thing. death and rebirth. You know, death and rebirth. If if you know, there is going to be yeah. people that suffer from it, unfortunately. Um, but there will right. also be. Uh, it's the dawning of the age of Aquarius. You know, there's going to be new. Uh, the benefit, the benefits will eventually outweigh the, the pros will outweigh the cons, certainly medically, um, you know, and, yeah. and that's, I think the most exciting technological advancements right now are, are with medicine, you know, CRISPR well, and things like the, that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like I, uh, like I was thinking about, right. The thing I was thinking about was, so, 
like right now in my my city is an advertising mecca right now yeah where are you and it, i'm outside of atlanta oh okay yeah yeah and like 10 years ago that didn't happen right like 10 years ago no right but now it is and i i honestly think that okay yes the truck we should do something for the truck driver and for the 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 waitress and for the you know these people that are going to be displaced by this technological revolution okay we totally should and that's only fair and it's only right but i also think there's going to be all these new opportunities that we haven't even thought of oh of course yeah okay <laughs> you know like I mean, one thing, I mean, I've said this on my podcast a lot, is I can, I can go listen to this expert on history while I'm walking around, where yeah. before I would have had to enroll in UCLA. Well, first I'd have had to move across the country. Uh, then I'd have to apply to UCLA. Then I'd have to get accepted, blah, 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 blah. And, and even <laughs> then, you're, I, you're still... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, right. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm so even then, you would still only be getting information from a small handful of people. You wouldn't have this this broad pool of intellectuals that you can just, hey, let me see what he says about this. Let me see what this person. You know, it's we're a podcast or an audio book. You know, we're. I always joke like I'm only one uh, dog walk away from being a genius because that's when I listen to podcasts, you know, <laughs> and exactly. it's, it's amazing the things you can absorb in 30 minutes that, like you said, yeah, it, you would have had to move across country. And even then you would get a limited lopsided view. So I think, um, yeah, education is going to be fascinating. The, the changes that are being forced on it. And, you know, I've heard there blockchain is going to become a part of education. I'm not real sure how. Um, so it, uh, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm here for it. Here's something that I, here's something that I think because I'm a podcaster that I don't think I would have thought before I became a podcaster. I think there is a difference between education and job training. And I don't think that, it, yeah. I don't think that it difference existed as starkly three years ago. That's a good point. Right. Yes. Yeah, that's a very and good point. What I, what I worry about, and I say this is that you can't understand the time in which we live without understanding first, that there is an industry that is dying and that right. industry is education. Yeah, it's it's dying. And we need to be honest about that. And we're not being honest about it. Right. But I could go on for days about that. Oh, I, I could too. My, my wife's in education. She's an educator. So that's that's a that's a soapbox of mine. But at the same time, you know, let's it goes back to death and rebirth. It is dying. And there are some some parts of the country. I mean, we're the that it's going to be a, a much more brutal death. Um, 
than other parts of the country because some yeah. some they, they think the answer is well we need to reinvest in these these jobs you know we need to reinvest in fossil fuel jobs we need to reinvest in this and that's not the answer we need to re-educate um and prepare folks for for what's new and so i think though they're you know yeah. those are the people that are going to be left getting left behind more as education you know as we knew it dies off but death and rebirth that, you know yeah I think the thing we need to do is reinvent high school. I really do. I think the thing, I'm not sure, but Mm -hmm. we need to reinvent high school as a way to, we need to think of high school as a way to train people for a job that they can have. Right. Right. Because, what we call education, which is really the Harvard School of the Harvard method of education, as podcasting becomes more, um, is going to become outmoded. Right. 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 Well, and I think high schools would benefit from offering trade programs. You know, not everyone is going to be going. Not everyone has it in them to go to a four-year college. I'm the type of person I went to college for five years and, and I, it's just not, it wasn't for me, you know? And so, yeah, changing, changing high school in a way that prepares people for the real world right out of the gate instead of, Oh, go take out, you know, go burden yourself with debt for the rest of your life. Um, Cause that's what you're go, supposed to do. Right. Go burden yourself with, with soul crushing debt, which is going to change not just you, but your, you know, maybe the trajectory of your entire family line. Oh, of course. Um, and so on and so forth. Of course. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, in, in the going back to the re- accepting everyone agreeing on a version of reality, you know, five years ago, a bachelor's degree was what you needed. Right. And now a bachelor's degree is not much, you know, it's not valued much more than a high school diploma in a lot of fields, you know? And so now it's not enough to take out a hundred thousand in student loan debt. Now you got to go for 200 and get that master's to make bachelor degree money. Yeah. But see, that's okay. It's all a sham. (laughs) But if you look at it, if you really look at it, I think there's another, I think there's another thing coming along that hasn't formalized yet. I don't know what that thing is, but as far as in education, I think, yeah, I think there's another way to train people that hasn't formalized yet, which I can kind of see the, the edges of. Yeah. But not really. Well, there will have to be. Well, right. (laughs) Exactly. Um, This has been a fascinating um, conversation. Uh, um, I'm sure you could. Kyle, and you're more than welcome to come back. I'd love to. Yeah. Anytime. (laughs) Anytime I can talk about just about anything. (laughs) Okay. So, Kyle, now we begin the dance of downloading. Okay. (laughs) So the way this happens is I'm going to stop. First of all, Hey everybody. um, This has been Ben Kitchings and you've been listening to history Voyager. 
If you're still listening, thank you very much. Uh, but anyway, okay. So let me uh, hit 